0: You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Colletti, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded at the 2016 annual Florida Bar Convention. We are on location in Orlando, Florida, at the beautiful Hilton, Orlando Bonnet Creek facility, which is between the Hilton and the Waldorf Astoria. So we're here to cover this event and it's highlights for you, our listeners. And joining me now, I have Miss Barbara Leach. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, good morning.
0: Now I've been told on Good Authority that you like to go by Babs, is that true? I love it. All right, perfect, perfect. So uh, Babs, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, I know you're a returning guest. You've been on a few of our shows and it's been wonderful. So, but I was wondering if you could just tell our audience a little bit more about yourself. Where do you work, what do you do?
1: Sure, I work for Barbara Leach Law, coincidentally. I have a small firm in Orlando, Florida where it's uh, my associate attorney, my paralegal, and the Chihuahua.
0: Oh, that's right, the Chihuahua, the little dog. uh, That's great. Uh, Is there a hashtag for the Chihuahua? Yes, Chihuahua. Chihuahua, okay, now that's L-A-W, Chihuahua. So I understand all about the Chihuahuas. Well, we're here to talk about bankruptcy. Now you're presenting at the Florida Law Update 2016 seminar and your emphasis on this is bankruptcy law updates. That is correct. Well, let's get into it. What's new in bankruptcy?
1: I know you're excited to ask that question. I really and was. It's Actually, there's been a lot that's happened in the past year. Not the least of which was there's been a number of United States Supreme Court cases centered around bankruptcy, the most significant of which was a, an opinion called Calcutt that impacted the fact that in the state of Florida, for a very brief few year period, you could discharge a lien, a second lien on your house in a chapter seven bankruptcy. Nowhere else in the country could you do that other than in the 11th circuit until the Calcutta opinion came out and said, no, can't do it anymore.
0: Was that one of the factors that was driving the housing market in Florida years back? Was that one of them?
1: What do you mean? One well, of the you, get,
0: you can forget that. So is this a home line of uh, equity or? Second mortgage. Second mortgage. Second okay. mortgages. So uh, that being the case, you can discharge the second mortgage. Uh, you
1: can do it. You've always been able to do that in a chapter 13 bankruptcy. But as you know, a chapter 13 bankruptcy is a repayment plan right. that you're in for three to five years, as opposed to a chapter seven, which is a shorter term. You don't have to worry about paying debt back
0: right so that's the clean slate
1: yes clean slate i like it
0: okay so all right so that that is a pretty major change uh significantly and uh, something that was unique to florida so um i've been reading in the news that uh, bankruptcy trend is on the decline and so as the economy gets better people are finding themselves not quite in the same financial straits that they once were especially coming out of the recession and so uh, how how is that in your area of law is that impacting your practice or how does that look
1: Well, it's okay for me because I have a diversified practice. We do family law and civil litigation in addition to bankruptcy. So I've definitely seen a downward trend in the bankruptcy cases that come in my direction. But I've never been a sole BK practitioner. So I haven't worried about the impact that it would have on me. Okay.
0: And I would be remiss in my uh, public service duties. If I didn't ask, you know, so many people do find themselves in pretty serious financial trouble, and it really can tie up your whole life, uh, make employment difficult, if not impossible, depending on what sector you work in. And so, I guess, you know, uh, while we're sitting here, what are the primary causes? You know, what starts that spiral? Is it credit card debt? Is it medical debt? What do you see through your practice?
1: I find that it's credit card debt and medical debt, in addition to people getting in over their heads with their homes. A lot of uh, bankruptcies in Florida are predicated on foreclosures, largely because people are losing their jobs, taking a longer time to get reemployed, or they're not even able to find a job where they're making the same income. So they're unable to pay their bills. And the first thing that seems to impact them the greatest is losing their home through a foreclosure.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And so um, that being the case, uh, there's another form of debt that seems to be rising. So we got about, I think last time I checked, it was uh, $1.3 trillion wrapped up in student loan debt. And I know you and I, before this interview, were talking a little bit about that. There's been some rumblings out there about student loan debt and bankruptcy. Are you getting people coming in asking a lot of questions about that? Like, what do I do now? I can't get a job or are these, these interest rates on my private student loans are I can't pay it back. There's no options because of the protections involved. And so what do I do next?
1: Right now, if you came to me, an able bodied young man such as yourself saying, hey, I, I, I can't deal with this, then really at this point, the only option that I would say to you is talk to your loan provider about some kind of restructuring of the loan, unfortunately, it takes a very, very specific set of circumstances by which you could discharge your debt at this time. Now, I know that there are trends in legislation as far as making student loan debt dischargeable or forgivable, but we haven't seen that trickle down to bankruptcy court rulings yet.
0: Is uh, some of the talk, is it focused more at the private student loan sector or more of sort of the federal? I mean, obviously the federal's a little bit, probably a little bit more protected, but are you hearing something about some of the private lenders?
1: Yeah, that is probably the easy, not that it's ever easy, but I think that that's where bankruptcy practitioners are having the greatest success in terms of actually discharging debt when you have questionable lenders, questionable institutions as well.
0: Okay. Well let's bring it back to your presentation. So you've got a bunch of notes out here. And I know you're presenting tomorrow and so are you going to get up there as part of the uh, 2016 update which I think is great. I love learning about that uh, through the Florida Bar. Uh, what are some of the topics you're going to be discussing?
1: Well in preparation for the presentation that I'm giving I reviewed every case that had been filed in the prior 12 months. So they do this every year. So I'm 2016. So everything that was ruled on either at the bankruptcy court level the federal district court which is the first level of appeal and then the 11th circuit which is the second level of appeal and then the united states supreme court so i have 50 minutes to talk and i'm going to try to actually address a hundred different cases almost rapid fire two per minute in order to just highlight some of the things that i think is of import or of note in terms of exemptions, dischargeability, what I call just good to know information from a practitioner's perspective, and then some cases that I think directly impact lawyers, both as bankruptcy practitioners or as any lawyers as bankruptcy debtors, and then lawyers just in as non-bankruptcy practitioners. We've got a category on chapter 13 cases specifically, category on foreclosure trends, what's happening as it relates to foreclosures. And then we're also gonna talk about some chapter 11 issues that we see.
0: Okay, well, in reviewing all those cases, was there a particular theme or a change or development that was jumping out at you? Uh, Just kind of bankruptcy, all of it, chapter 7, 11, all of it. I'm seeing a
1: trend in foreclosure law as it relates to when people surrendered their property in a chapter seven or a chapter 13, banks are now going to the courts to say, I want you bankruptcy judge to prohibit this debtor from actively defending the foreclosure. So what happens is I file bankruptcy, I surrender my house, say so I, don't, I don't wanna be beholden to this obligation, a bank in order to take that house back still has to go through the foreclosure process. So some debtors, they don't wanna leave the home yet. They almost wanna have their cake and eat it too and that they don't want to be responsible for the obligation, but they wanna stay in the home as long as possible. So the way to do that is to defend a foreclosure action. So banks, I believe, have gotten savvy to this and they're going into the bankruptcy courts and saying, hey, listen, they surrendered the property prohibit them from defending these foreclosures. And the courts are are around the board on this as to whether it's too late, the banks are asking them, the case is long since closed, or they're saying, yes, debtor, you have indicated that you're surrendering the property so you can't actively defend it. It's it's very interesting to see. It's almost on a case-by-case basis in terms of what the facts are about that. Something else that I think is interesting that we've encountered recently is in Florida, you all know that this is just in Florida. In Florida, you can't discharge an alimony or a domestic support obligation, right? So, one of the cases I came across was the court ruled that there was a domestic support obligation that was non-dischargeable between two people that weren't married. So, there was a paternity action when the mother was trying to discharge a debt and the father came in and said, no, you you can't get rid of this obligation to me. They were never married. There was no divorce proceeding. The court ruled that because that it was support and because the debt was owed to the father and the child. So that might have been the link that it was an obligation that was to both the father and the child. I think from a practice tip perspective. What I need to do is if I'm ever trying to go after a mother for a state court judgment or a father for that matter, that I want to make sure that I'm bringing that cause on behalf of the child as well.
0: So the court didn't call that out, didn't make a distinction when it made its decision, it didn't?
1: It was one of the factors that went into it. So I'd I'd love to see.
0: But there was no bright line kind of test there. No, no, no. Interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. But. I now know going forward, if I'm ever in that circumstance, to make sure that I bring the child into it. I just thought that that was a a fairly interesting trend. Also, the 11th Circuit ruled recently, there's this whole big question about whether debtors can bring lawsuits for violations of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, the FDCPA, for debt collectors who are filing time-barred proofs of claim. So I'm filing a bankruptcy, right? You're a big bank and I owe you credit card debt, but it's from 10 years ago. You file a proof of claim clearly outside of the statute of limitations. Can I bring a lawsuit against you for violation of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act? Well, evidently, yes, I can. According to the 11th Circuit, if you are A, a defined debt collector and B, Facially, that claim, you know that it is time barred. So there were several cases that were questioned where you saw the disparity of rulings, but now the 11th Circuit has, has spoken that, yeah, you can do this, which I thought was very interesting. I would also say something we, we had discussed earlier talking about the education. There's a case out there as far as American Airlines, FCU versus Cardona about A debtor who got a line of credit through a credit union, the credit agreement was a quote, education line of credit.
0: Okay, interesting. Almost
1: like a credit card, just a line of credit, but because it was characterized as such and used in some fashion for educational purposes, the court found that to be non dischargeable.
0: Interesting.
1: So it's not like, hey, I need this money to go to my school. It was a line of credit, but non-dischargeable because it was for education purposes.
0: parents out there listening didn't have the benefit of our pregame, which we were talking about this a little bit when we decided to talk about this particular issue. If you have children out there and uh, that are in college age, at college, uh, there's a lot of temptation through credit card applications and the student unions to provide a little bit of cash assistance, uh, buying books and whatnot. Those things always seem to pop up at the beginning of semesters. (laughs) And so, are you concerned that because of where those credit card applications would be taking place, and generally the nature of what college kids uh, use them for, could that be attached to that same lack of being able to be discharged? Would that be attached to someone that fills out a credit card application, buys books, maybe a few things for school? Is that possibly in the future?
1: That's a great question. I, I mean, I, as lawyers, we're sometimes engaged in fear-mongering, so, <laughs> I, like, oh my gosh, I can see something like that happening. Like, what? where do we draw the line? Right. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but honestly, if I was a credit provider, I would be identifying everything as educational line of credit or educational purposes just to see if it works.
0: Well, I think you bring up a good point there. I mean, the fear-mongering part really is warning. You know, uh, people out there, um, you know, we kind of advocate for others in that way. You know, these are the warnings. But, you know, as a layperson listening to this or a friend of an attorney listening to this, um, how do you get ahead of something like that? Like, where do you need to be watching these changes in legislation that might hinder your life at some point whether it's your kids getting into credit card debt they can't discharge or some banking regulation that changes for you that makes your second mortgage, you know, non-dischargeable. I mean, where where do you go to find this?
1: It sounds glib, but that's not the intention. I think you make friends with lawyers. You find a podcast such as this, you find a website, you find blogs, you go to cocktail parties and ask questions. So even if Whatever lawyer you know, whether she is a bankruptcy practitioner or not, you just have a conversation with them and and you have an ongoing dialogue. I tell people all the time, whether you need a lawyer or not, you should have one in your life. Have that relationship already established.
0: Well, Babs, thank you so much. I realize that we've reached the end of our time here together, but I want to thank you for joining us on the air. And if our uh, listeners want to reach out, learn a little bit more, uh, such as having a lawyer friend, how can they reach you?
1: They can email me at Barbara at bleach law.com
0: is it spelled the same
1: b-l-e-a-c-h okay
0: perfect perfect well thank you again so much for joining us uh, and sharing with us uh, your florida law update for bankruptcy i think very enlightening and educational
1: awesome thanks for having me
0: this has been another edition of special reports i'm lawrence coletti signing off from orlando florida until next time thank you for listening